The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, Flatline. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the places including your favorite podcast app or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. And I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Technology. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology. But today we're talking about this 12th Doctor story called Flatline. And Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens? The Twelfth Doctor and Clara land in Bristol and immediately realize that something is wrong. The exterior of the TARDIS is half the size it should be, so something nearby is leeching off its exterior dimensions. Clara goes to investigate, and the Doctor gets trapped inside the TARDIS when it shrinks to less than a foot tall, so Clara puts it in her handbag and assumes the role of the Doctor for solving the present crisis. She discovers local people have been vanishing, and it turns out that creatures from a two-dimensional universe are invading ours. Clara has to keep a group of normals safe, and she guides them through a series of subway tunnels being pursued by the 2D creatures, who begin assuming horrific 3D forms as they learn more about our dimension. The Doctor tells Clara he's figured out a way to defeat the creatures, but they've taken so much power from the TARDIS that he doesn't have the energy needed to do it. At one point, the TARDIS goes into lockdown mode, cutting off communication with the actual Doctor, and Clara has to decide what to do. She has Riggsy, a graffiti artist, make a painting of a door to lure the creatures, and when they try to use their energy powers to get through the false door, they unwittingly recharge the TARDIS on the other side of the wall, giving the TARDIS the energy that it needs to recover. The Doctor then emerges and banishes the creature back to their own dimension. Also in this episode, the Doctor realizes Clara has been lying to him by telling him Danny Pink is okay with her traveling on the TARDIS. And we end by cutting to Missy, who is watching Clara on an iPad, and she says, Clara, my Clara, I have chosen well, and then laughs. The end. (laughs) As she does so well, she laughs so well. Uh, All right, so this is a... uh the the first season for the 12th doctor the ninth episode so we're mostly way through this this first season for the 12th doctor and the whole missy question we don't know yet yet know who missy is and and all that sort of thing um this episode's written by jamie uh jamie matheson who also wrote mummy on the orient express although this was his first script yeah he wrote this one first yeah um and it's interesting the monsters in both are Creatures that have no lines, they don't actually, well, mm-hmm. 
they sort of speak to the the speaker. The the TARDIS translates them, I guess. The when they were in there. Well, they say numbers, but we we never hear yeah. them speaking for themselves, and they never say anything more than just a number. Right. Right. And they and that keeps them very mysterious. I kind of like that as a monster of the week creature is is the, the mystery. Yeah, I I like that too. And he could have done a little bit better if he didn't have the doctor give these things a name. At the very end, mm. when the doctor is about to banish them, the doctor says, "And I name you the Boneless." And it's like, okay, that's just for that's just some kind of fan thing, right? You yeah. know, to give the fans something to call them because there's no in-universe reason to give them a name, and certainly not Boneless. They're they. How do you know they don't have bones? They're they're weird reanimated versions of people, and people have bones inside them. So this is that's it. I, actually, that giving them a name strips away a little bit of the mystery in a sense because it's now we have an easier way to talk about them. It's unlike the the creature in Midnight, mm-hmm. which is you know an awesome episode, and the fact we don't even have a name for that thing. Yep. is it's just called in fandom it's just called the midnight creature because of the planet it was on in the episode it was in so you know it's even it's even more mysterious yeah i think the, yeah, i mean the midnight creature may be the best one one of the best of all the the creatures mm-hmm. the the monsters because of that because of that mystery because we just we don't know and we never know and we never we may never know and and frankly i hope they never bring it back because it keeps right. that mystery mm-hmm. alive well um, we never see it we don't know anything about it we you just we just know that it can do the telepathic takeover basically right mm-hmm. that's exactly also it has the same kind of progression as the boneless do in this episode where initially the midnight creature i recently rewatched midnight and i you know structurally it proceeds in stages it has this early exploratory stage mm-hmm. where you're not sure if it's hostile or not and then it as it learns it starts repeating what people say then it goes to speaking at the same time with them then it goes to speaking ahead of them and at that point it's in control yeah and here we have the boneless you know starting to experiment with the third dimension, and then they start to be able to manipulate the third dimension and then they start to become three dimensional right yeah and they yeah. get progressively more threatening right right yeah that's I think that's a great progression when you're writing this sort of story is to have the creatures gradually become scarier become more capable more, the doing more things and and the question like even the doctor in this questions are they do they have evil intent or they just don't know that they're doing that they're hurting people you know and by the end of it he's fairly convinced they're bad guys <laughs> they're monsters yeah. um it, incidentally one of the things that i really like about this episode is the ta- this the the size shifting that goes on with the tardis this is something that we don't see very often. It first happened back in the very, uh, I guess, second season of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. In 1964, there was an episode which we reviewed called Planet of the Giants, mm-hmm. where the TARDIS materializes small, and everyone in it is small too. And so the first Doctor and Ian and Barbara and Susan have to, when they come out of it, they have to interact with the world, but they're tiny. And that was an extremely creative idea. The TARDIS also uh, got smaller in the third Doctor's time in Carnival of Monsters when it materialized in a miniscope, which we'll learn about when we get to that one. 
It also shrank in the fourth doctor's Logopolis because of the block transfer calculations of the Logopolitans. Um, and it appeared tiny inside the Tesselecta in the 11th doctor's Let's Kill Hitler and the Wedding of River Song. But I don't so much count the um, Carnival of Monsters or the Fourth Doctor or the Eleventh Doctor ones because there's nothing really creative. It's mm. just, okay, it's in a small environment, so it materializes small, like in a miniscope. Right. The, and, and it's a minor part of Logopolis and the Eleventh Doctor stories. It doesn't really play a role in the plot. But here it does, and in Planet of the Giants it does. And normally the TARDIS just travels in space and time, but adjusting size is great. And mm-hmm. that's an application that we don't see very often. And I, I liked the way they played it in Planet of the Giants. And here it's different because it's, it's, the doctor is still full size. Right. It's just the TARDIS that's shrinking and he's stuck inside of it. Um, which is actually a good thing because that's where the controls are. You know, <laughs> yeah. if I'm if I'm the doctor and the TARDIS is shrinking uncontrollably, I want to be inside this thing, right? And it's just the outside that's that's shrinking, yes, because it's right. already smaller than the actual TARDIS, as he kind of alludes to as well, right? Yeah. So, but here it's playing a role in the plot, and I I really like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit, who who wouldn't want to have one of those model TARDISes though? The little you know foot and a half, two foot model TARDIS is that, that Clara picks up. We'd love to have one of those here on my desk. I want the slightly larger one so so I can have a little space I can go in and like drink my coffee and read. Like just like, a, quiet, a little quiet place. <laughs> I, I want a full size TARDIS. I want a real TARDIS. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you on that one. Uh, so one of the interesting things is they created this constraint of the doctor in the TARDIS. And one of the reasons they did this was apparently Peter Capaldi couldn't do a regular filming schedule mm-hmm. so they had to constrain mm-hmm. him to this limited space which again constraints often make better stories and i think it's a better story mm-hmm. for it yeah so this is technically another dr light episode even mm-hmm. though it doesn't feel like that yeah yeah and it, it works out it works out well where uh, clara has to figure things out on her own mm-hmm. uh, especially at times where she's out of communication with the doctor uh and, and it did she able to step up to the role, and the doctor, of course, makes comment about that at the end, that she made an excellent doctor. Yeah, and even before that, I mean, from from very early on in the episode, she consciously assumes the role of the doctor, and mm-hmm. initially to his annoyance. Mm. And, um, and this is, I don't know if this is, I, I would guess, I'd have to go back and check, I would guess this is not the first time they've hinted about Clara progressively becoming more like the doctor to where she can function mm-hmm. like him, but they put it center stage in this episode and it, it will, it will continue going forward. In fact, later this season, at the end of this season, there is an episode where she declares herself to be the doctor. And then we cut to credits and she's in, it's got her eyes instead of Peter Capaldi's right. in the, in the credits. Right. right. And then it's the fact she's trying to be the doctor is her ultimate downfall in Face the Raven. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not the first time they explore this idea, it's the this episode is the first time they they really put it center stage and explore it in depth. Of you know, Clara is just functionally like the doctor, and Rigsy is effectively her companion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And at one point, you know, when she's leading the group of normals around, 
the doctor even uh, tells her, you really throw your companions into the deep end, don't you? Which is, of <laughs> course, a, a meta reference to what he does. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of nice dialogue there where she really realizes everything that it, that it is involved in being the doctor in all these situations and taking charge and in giving mm-hmm. hope and not telling the others everything because they would totally just lie down and die with hopelessness and all that sort of stuff comes out for her in this and thus for the audience uh, explicitly. Um, and also, interestingly, as you mentioned, this is sort of the beginning of, of an arc that will take us through Face the Raven into mm-hmm. Clara as, the, the, in, you know, living between heartbeats with uh, a shoulder on another TARDIS traveling her, around. Her own TARDIS, yeah. 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 Uh, so. And- and this isn't the first companion we've seen that kind of turns into a mini doctor. Clara's probably gone the furthest, but of course you can think Amy to some extent, of course, mm-hmm. Dr. Donna, mm-hmm. Rose, you know, a, a lot of the new who companions do. And even some of the, the classic companions, you could say, kind of take on a doctor persona. Yeah, that's quite true in new who the least successful time I think is the Dr. Donna. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as she becomes the Dr. Donna, she becomes insufferable. Um, <laughs> yeah. all, she, all she is is spouting egoistic rhetoric and magically solves the problem at hand. And that is not what the Doctor does. That's, that's, a, that's a parody of, I, of the Doctor. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was done on purpose as a parody to, to kind of take the, kind of the, some of the Doctor's tendencies and, and make them larger than life, basically. Possibly. I think in the classic, I think of like Nissa and mm-hmm. um, Zoe. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Zoe yet, but uh, although actually I, did, I saw her in the Tenth Planet, I think it was right. Oh no, is Zoe nope. the? Um, yeah, she doctor. was in the. T- she was in the uh, in the War Games. The War Games, right, right, right. That's why I have seen her. Yeah, yeah. There's several. There are several companions who really take on a larger role and almost doctor-like role. Um, so in the Ace the, is one. The Doctor is even training Ace to be a time yep. lady. Right, and they explore right. more of that in like in books and and things like that. Big finish, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the 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 way that these two um, D monsters work is is interesting. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of that book that they made me read in high school um, about like a, a uh, creatures who live in a two dimensional world. It was in like geometry class. Oh, you mean Flatland? Flatland. Yes, I knew it was connected to this title <laughs> by Edwin Abbott. Uh, so I don't know if they still make kids read that, but uh, it, it was kind of an interesting idea. Uh, they didn't but, make me read it. I wanted to read it. <laughs> they assigned it, so that thus it was made me read it, and therefore I was uh, resistant. It, I, I was a rebel. Um, yeah, never, never read it, so that wasn't part of my, my curriculum. Oh. But. It is, it is uh, um, for people who are not familiar with it, it's called, the full name of it is Flatland, A Romance in Many Dimensions. And the people, the segment of it that people remember the most is where you have Flatland, which is this world inhabited by two-dimensional creatures like squares and hexagons and poly, other kinds of polygons. And the priests are circular. Mm-hmm. And an entity comes from the third dimension named a sphere so the characters are all a something so you have a square a triangle a circle and a sphere visits from the third dimension and he is able to um do seemingly supernatural paranormal magical things because he's from the third dimension so like when he passes he sinks and passes through the plane of the third dimension mm. 
what the two-dimensional people see first is just a dot, and then it expands and becomes a circle, and then it becomes a bigger circle as it reaches his equator. Right. And then it shrinks again away to just a point. And he's able to do things like lift people up out of the plane of flatland and move them elsewhere, which is like teleportation mm. uh, to the to the flatlanders. And um, he commissions our our the main flatlander we meet, a square, to become the apostle of the third dimension and go out and preach about the third dimension and tell <laughs> the two dimensional people about it, which causes a conflict with the circular priests who put him on trial and are ready to execute him by driving a woman into him. Uh, women are, are straight lines. <laughs> and so they, they're so, and each generation has an extra side. So if you're a square, your son is going to be a Pentagon. If you're a Pentagon, your son is going to be a hexagon. And so they're going to bisect him with a woman and a sphere swoops in from the third dimension and rescues him at the last minute. And so we have this mathematical, philosophical religious story going on here which actually contains valuable apologetic principles that i have used mm. yeah. um uh, in discussions with people to talk about the supernatural and how it can interact with us but uh he a sphere also gets to go down to line land where everyone is a line segment Mm-hmm. And what this is really all about is helping us three-dimensionals imagine what it would be like to interact with a higher-dimensional, fourth-or-more-dimensional fourth reality. Mm. So it's, it's yeah. really a very good book. It's well worth reading, and it contains important principles. I should go back and reread it now that I'm an mm-hmm. adult and not a rebellious teenager, because I bet I would enjoy it a lot more. <laughs> Uh, so in this case, the, these two-dimensional creatures are apparently exploring our, our dimension. They've discovered it somehow. They've entered into it. And they've started by, like, abducting people and taking them apart into the, in second dimensions. And so we see, like, the first guy that we see get, get killed, um, his two-dimensional image is stretched across a wall. So it's like you can only see it if you kind of put your eye right up next to the wall and you see yeah. that otherwise it's, it's just an indistinct image and it's screen it's his screaming face and yeah. then we go into other places where people have disappeared the first major guy the first person they noticed who disappeared he now exists as a giant patch of microscopic blown up skin yeah. on his mm-hmm. wall and then when it eats a uh, uh, a policewoman named pc forest her nervous system ends up on the wall. Yeah, yep. it looks like abstract art, and mm-hmm. so you take a closer look. Um, so they, it starts with, uh, then after that, with Clara and the doctor and the TARDIS, and they're having this conversation about Danny being okay with Clara traveling with the doctor, which turns out not to be true later, we, we discover. And uh, as Clara, he's landing her at home, and... As Clara goes to leave, she approaches, and the TARDIS door is small. It's 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 not so small that she can't get out, but it is much smaller. And I noticed they use this sound effect as she approaches the door of the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park. I, I it's hmm. a very distinct sound. Hmm. I, I I thought it was kind of odd. Um, but the the doctor gets really excited, and he goes he's going on and on because, as he says, he rarely. F- finds anything he doesn't know anything about. And so <laughs> he gets excited. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, and 
he gives Clara the sonic in the psychic paper mm-hmm. uh, to so that she can go out and start investigating while he's inside. Now, does he do that before or after it gets too small for him to get out of the TARDIS? Um, right, I think before. Yeah. Okay. At, at least I have it, at least in the order of my notes. Um, he gives them to her and she says to him, does this mean I'm you now? <laughs> and he's he's like no it does not and then she's immediately introducing herself to the public surface uh workers who are painting over graffiti they they're apparently we know from Riggsy he's a graffiti artist and he's been sentenced to community service and so mm-hmm. he's having to paint over his own graffiti and presumably all of the other community service workers have also committed minor offenses that they're that they've been sentenced to this for, except for the one guy who's leading them, who is a jerk. <laughs> a right. super um, jerk. <laughs> yeah. But she immediately goes, she's got an earbud so the doctor can hear her and see through her eyes. Mm-hmm. And she's got the sonic and she's going around scanning and she meets the community service workers and is talking to Riggsy and she said, and he says, you know, hi, who are you? She says, I'm the doctor. And which she knows the doctor and the TARDIS will hear and yeah. is immediately annoyed by that. <laughs> and she says, Dr. Oswald, and and is what kind of doctor you are? She's like, oh, I'm usually kind of vague about that. I I think I just picked it because it makes me sound important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was very good. That was good. It's, it's, kind of, it's great when the 12th doctor kind of gets his bubble burst a little bit because he is so like, you know, Grump, grumpy and gruff all the time. It's nice to have his, his bubble get bu- burst a bit. Mm-hmm. In fact, at one point, he he talks about being embarrassed by this whole thing, like getting caught in this dimension leeching situation with the TARDIS, uh, because as he says, Gallifreyans do dimensions. Like, we, we're the experts on these things. How can somebody be doing this and we not be able to figure it out? So I, I like that that bit there. There's also some nice comedy in this. When they are talking about, I mean, like one bit of physical comedy that stood out to me, there's, there, uh, there's another one that stands out even more, but one bit of physical comedy that stood out to me was um, when they have these people vanishing in their apartments, they're describing it as a locked room mystery. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're thinking, well, what happens in locked room mysteries? Well, option number one, the people are still in the room. And so, like, Clara is checking under couches for shrunk people, and there's none there. Mm -hmm. And option number two, they're in the walls, you know. And so the doctor gives—he's in the TARDIS, he's in her handbag, and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden she finds this enormous sledgehammer coming up out (laughs) of her handbag so so she can smash into the walls with it. Yeah, they, they use it a couple of times to pretty good effect to have the doctor pass things to her from her bag and that yep. she just suddenly reaches in and, oh, hey, here's this device. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's like a bag of holding in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> it's infinite. Well, and then they start smashing the walls of this random apartment. They just start hammering into all the walls, which is kind of like, uh, okay. Well, they're, <laughs> they're from MI5, so they can do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like the FBI. They can just come smash your walls. Um well, the the other thing is, well, uh, they can uh, if you're the former president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that it's kind of funny is, is uh, when she's being the doctor, she says to Riggs at one point, "This is where we run," and then she starts running, and we all start mm-hmm. running, you know, with her. Uh, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So that was kind of good. Um, there's, yeah, the, there's a lot of little bits of fun comedy that have to do with like the doctor, um, 
reaching his hand out of the little tiny door and he's like pointing it's over that way and he's his hand is coming out and pointing he's like stop that <laughs> or uh or at the near the end when the tiny tardis is on the train tracks oh this is my yep. favorite from the yeah. whole oh, yeah. thing where he's yeah. running through mentally all of the ways he could try to move the tardis <laughs> technologically yes. to get it out of the way of the train and why none of them will work and clara says you you move it like Adam's family, and it and it <laughs> yeah. clicks for him. And we have the doctor's part of the doctor's hand come out of the door and crab walk it yeah. a, across the uh, off the off the train tracks like thing. Yeah, thing. From, That's yeah, right. Thing, thing well, was, from the from the Adam's family. I was thinking it looked like a hermit crab in a TARDIS model. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's kind of what it looked like. That's and right. and then it it he, he gets it off and that's a glorious moment and he's like so happy and then it clunk it falls <laughs> partially back on the railroad track yeah and yeah. the train is just about on it and we see him uh run to the console and yank a lever under the console just as the train hits and we don't know what happened but he did something that would mm-hmm. um that would do something to save him. And we later learn it went into siege mode. Yep. Yeah. So it's the, the doctor calls it siege mode and it looks to me, it looks a lot like the Pandorica. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. I don't know if that's intentional on their part, but it, I I think it is. It's not what a, it's not what a TARDIS in default mode looks like in default mode. It looks like a cylinder, Mm -hmm. right? But in siege mode, it looks like a, cube with us with circles on the sides which is exactly like the pandorica yeah. so i assume that's a deliberate callback yeah interesting that it that's those are similar and the, uh, that could be yeah because the pandorica was uh, about containing whatever was inside unable to get out no matter what and that was what the the doctor was experiencing inside even including the loss of uh air and life support mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff so yeah you could even propose that the pandorica was a specially fitted tardis in siege mode mm. Mm. that's an interesting point yeah um, and, you know, I wonder. I wonder too if there's something for behind the scenes. It was easier to say, "Hey, we've got this prop, prop of the Pandorica. Let's just use that as the siege mode Tardis." Well, yeah. actually, color it. <laughs> actually, the um, it that would appear. I wondered about that too, but that would appear to not be the case. I looked up on Tardis Wikia about it, and um, apparently, the prop for the siege mode Tardis was built specially for this episode. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, because like I said, it looks like it. And it looks like it could have been the model they used to create the, <laughs> you know, the CGI effect or whatever. Right, right. But. So we have uh, Clara has taken this team of community service folks and taken them. They're running from the 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 the, the boneless who have taken on the images, the mural images of the of the dead, um, as a sort of the doctor says they're wearing the dead like camouflage. And they've been chased into this train yard, and uh, we we have this one really creepy moment where they're calling out numbers because each of the uh, people on the community service team have a number on their jacket, and they call out this number. I think it was twenty two, and he's kind of standing off to the side, and Clara's like talking to him, and suddenly he's, she's like, "Hey, you know what's going on?" And then we have the camera's perspective shifts, and it mm-hmm. it turns out he's no longer three D; he's two D. Yeah, he's already flattened cool. onto the wall. Yeah, that was creepy. I mean, 
it was a little inconsistent because all the previous, you know, people who've died, you know, died screaming. Uh, his was instantaneous. We can maybe say they've, they've gotten better at it or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the uh, there is one funny thing. The supervisor of this community service group is uh, Fenton, I think his, his name was. Fenton, yeah. When Clara shows him the psychic paper claiming to be from health and safety, uh, he's like, it's a blank piece of paper. <laughs> it's like he's so yeah. lacking in imagination that he doesn't see the psychic paper, which I thought was funny. Yeah, the doctor says it takes like a determined lack of imagination not to see something on the psychic paper. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This guy is pure bureaucrat to the bones. Uh, he, he also has a nice line because he's in charge of yep. the group mm-hmm. and now Clara's taking it over. This is a situation where the doctor often gets into where they and the supervisor will challenge them about why are, why should you be in charge and the doctor has to make something up and so Fenton challenges Clara and says why should you be in charge who are you and she thinks and says what the doctor would say I'm the one chance you have of staying alive that's who I am Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And yep, okay, that works. That and puts then you in she says <laughs> and then she says to the doctor quietly to the doctor, I just hope I can keep them all alive. And the doctor says, mm-hmm. "Welcome to my world." <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, this is the the this is the sort of stuff that's going on in the doctor's head that we don't hear in other episodes. Mhm. So they escape down into the tunnels underneath the train yard, uh, at first disused tunnels, eventually to the to the tunnels that are in use. Um, and we get to the next stage of the boneless, which is three dimensions. And we find out that they're able to do three dimensions by this very creepy moment where the last of the surviving community service guys, apart from Riggsy, they're all standing around. Yeah, and well, inventing yeah. the supervisor. Yeah. And they're kind of standing around. Uh, and, and this guy's name's Roscoe. And they're talking, and then you see from behind them, this is, I think, really good direction, yeah. something dark descending from the tunnel ceiling and mm-hmm. then coming toward the camera. And toward, So we see it, they don't, and it's a hand, and it grabs them and hauls them off. A giant hand. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's uh, suitably creepy. Uh, well done there. And um, and then they, they come up out of the ground as these weird, uh, almost like 3D printed but not finished 3d printed figures yeah mm-hmm. they so they've saved the images of the people who initial who they initially took and they had even though they like put pc forest's nervous system on her on her on this bedroom wall there's a tunnel um where people have built a kind of impromptu memorial to you know like leaving candles and stuff like mm-hmm. when people like people do these days mm-hmm. um at the front of the tunnel but inside the tunnel there is what people have taken to be a mural of the vanished people and you have images of the vanished people standing with their backs to the people walking through the tunnel so they're just standing there with their backs turned motionless everyone assumes it's a mural and it's not these are images of the people who are vanished, and they're being generated by the 2D creatures. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment, actually a little bit before this in the episode, where those creatures, quote-unquote, in the mural, turn around and face um, the Clara and the workmen. Mm. And it's a really creepy moment. Um, and so they've still got these images of the people they've, they've, sh- they've flattened. 
and now they're assuming them and like puffing them out into three-dimensional forms again but they're it, it they're doing it imperfectly and so mm-hmm. they're like kind of shifting around little chunks of the people in 3D form are shifting around and it, they look crumbly and blurry and and they don't yeah. walk right and and it's 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 really creepy because it's uncanny valley territory it's it's mm-hmm. you can even recognize oh that's the guy from the beginning of the episode and that's this worker and that's this other guy and that's this woman and and they're just shambling around in this really creepy form pursuing people yeah yeah, yeah. don mentioned like an, an imperfect 3d print i thought it looked like uh if you've ever seen like over the air television, digital over the air television, when it kind of glitches a little bit and mm-hmm. you know things get distorted or not distorted, but yeah. shifted a little bit, the bits get shifted a little bit. It's That's like when what Starling like. goes bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was Father Corey yeah. for the first half of this recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for those of you watching the video, uh, so uh, so then we get to the the part of the tunnels where the trains are actually running, and uh, they're, they're the, the train comes and they stop they stop the train and they. The end of the tunnel, apparently they're, the, the creatures are down there standing around, blocking the tunnel, I guess. And they're going to ram the train into these into the creatures. Um, and Riggsy is going to sacrifice himself. He's willing to, to drive that train himself into the creatures and die. But, of course, Clara's like, well, you could do that. Or we could just do it where I use my hairband to rig the uh, controls so that switch. you don't have to. Yeah, yep. yeah, because <laughs> the train has a dead man switch, so that which is a safety feature, so that if the driver of a train dies, he will no longer be gripping the switch that allows the train to move, and mm-hmm. the train will stop. And so this is to prevent uncontrollable runaway trains. And they've got a train driver now, so you have the the crew at this point has all died except for Clara. Riggsy, Fenton, the supervisor, and now the train guy, the train driver, has right. been added to the group. And as, they, as they've as they stopped the train, she uses the Sonic to stop it somehow. And the train driver gets off and is talking to them, and they explain that they need to... She's from Health and Safety. He's got the imagination to see it. <laughs> and and they they need to use the train to ram what's at the end of the tunnel. And he's at, and he mentions the dead man switch, and then he says something like, "So we really need to ram it. I've always wanted to ram something." <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's ready and to do it. Yeah. He's ready to do it, and then Riggsy hops on board to do it instead. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she she was able to stop the train by throwing the signal. So you, you see oh, a yeah. reflection of the signal in the conductor or the driver. They call it engine driver. We call him engineer. In his in his face, where it's green, and then it switches to red, and he hits the emergency brake. Yeah, right. it went by really fast. I thought she might have done something with the signal, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yep. And the train number is A one thirteen, which is a an in joke for CGI uh, folks everywhere within the industry. Uh, it refers to a particular classroom at Cal Polytech, I think, or hmm. uh, or Berkeley, whatever. Uh, a lot of these guys have gone to learn computer uh, graphics and that sort of thing. And it's, it's you find it in Pixar movies and Lucasfilm, you know, Interesting. Uh, ILM stuff. So A one thirteen. So look for that in your favorite movies. Yeah. 
Um, but then, even with the headband on the dead man switch, the train barrels down the tunnel, and all of a sudden, it's flattened on the wall. <laughs> right, yep. which you could probably predict it would happen, but yeah, uh, that's kind of wild. Uh, Clara, at, at one point, stops in, in this here and asks, what would the doctor do? And then she then she's pauses and says, what will I do now? So she's mm-hmm. she's stopping thinking like... I need to think like the doctor. Now she's what in my creativity, what do I know? My experience, what am I going to do? And so she cleverly comes up with this plan to fake out the boneless by having in the past, she's been given this tool by the doctor to unflatten things that have been too deep. So the, the boneless going back quite a ways in the episode have been flattening, not only people, but also doorknobs. And mm-hmm. door handles. And so, like, they were doing that back at one of the apartments. And then how do we get out of this room now that they've flattened a door handle? I can't, you know, turn it. Um, and they end up going out a window. Um, well, then in the tunnels, they've started flattening these circular hatch seals that are on doors between, you know, service doors down in the tunnels. Mm-hmm. So you can't grab hold of them and turn them and open the door. So the doctor invents a device in like five minutes that will unflatten them. And after all, you know, dimensions are his people's thing. (laughs) And she says, oh, so you're making a D-flattener. And he says, we are not calling it a (laughs) D-flattener. And he's named it a 2DIS, a TUDIS. And they don't explain (laughs) it, but it's a parody of TARDIS, TARDIS, you know, which is also dimensionally weird. And so he, it's a handheld device, and she can use it to, if they flatten one of the ha- handles of the service hatches, she can unflatten it, and then they can go through. But, and, and then she gets the idea, I can flatten it after we've gone through. I can re-flatten it so they can't follow us, except they have an energy power because they manipulate dimensions. Yep. They have an energy power where they can use lightning-like bolts at something that's been flattened to pull it back into the third dimension. Right. And we've we've seen them do that to a doorway before. And at this point, Clara, they don't reveal exactly what he's doing immediately, but Clara tells Riggsy, I've got a commission for you. And the commission is to use his spray paint on the back of a poster. And this is kind of unrealistic because he's a graffiti artist and they're not known for super realism. Right. And with a can um, of spray paint to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but his his job is to make on the back of this poster a fake door. that So it looks like it's been flattened. And then they, they hang it on the wall of one of the tunnels and and Clara puts the TARDIS on the other side of the wall from where the poster is. So the boneless come down, they start blasting the fake door with their energy to try to re to try to deflatten it. And mm-hmm. instead their their energy is fed back into the TARDIS, giving it what it needs to come out of emergency mode. Right. Yeah, it, 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 the, the, because the the doctor said before he went into siege mode that I've got a way to deal with them, but I need to I need more power to do it and I need to, you know, the TARDIS to be bigger. And so Clara has just figured out we've got to get the TARDIS back, and that's why she's come up with this plan. And, of course, Fenton, in every step of the way, is doubting everything because he's that kind of guy. Mm. And uh, so he's, um, he's our deliberately unsympathetic character who nevertheless gets to live. 
Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Uh, Clara does say uh, at one point, rule number one of the doctor, use your enemy's power against them. Although I thought rule number one was the doctor yeah, lies. The doctor <laughs> lies. Maybe that's yeah. the number one rule of companions is the doctor lies. Yeah, that must be it. Uh, <laughs> but use your enemy's power against them. A little Aikido there. Um, Venusian Aikido. So the uh, the doctor then as you know emerges from the TARDIS, you know, in his like Time Lord Victorious pose, uh, and he tells them the boneless, I tried to be nice, but you were determined to be monsters and so now he's gonna do his thing and be the man who stops the monsters. You know, that typical yeah, poser typical thing. doctor speechifying. <laughs> yeah. He and he says he's gonna send them back to their own dimension and some of you may even survive. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets he, the doctor can get vicious at times, you know, and when he gets, when he gets his dander up, he can get pretty, you know, uh, 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 brutal. And, uh, so he sends them, uh, packing and they go back to the, that sand lot, that empty lot where the TARDIS initially landed in Bristol. That's where they, they landed, uh, mm-hmm. initially. And everyone's going to go their way. Riggsy is going to go uh, do his thing. Um, we see Riggsy again, don't we? He comes yes. up in the next he's season. In, he's in Face the Raven. Right, mm. right, exactly. Yep. Okay. And then um, Fenton, who talks about, well, at least those of us who deserve to live lived, because he doesn't really care much about his the scum of the earth who are on community service. Like, who, like, if you're on community service, what you did was pretty minor. <laughs> like, yeah. Not, yeah, not a capital offense. Um, well, like at least graffiti. it would be it would be here in America. I don't know about England. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Maybe they put murderers on community service or something. <laughs> Um, and then the train driver is just, he's like, he kisses the ground. He's very happy. And I'm thinking to myself, how is he going to explain this to his boss? Where's the mm-hmm. train? We well, see that mural down in the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm afraid this guy's about to lose his job. Well, um, it, was, it was interesting all their reactions too, because they're all hugging Clara and, and happy to, you know, that except, they, they survived. Except Fenton. Yeah. 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 Except Fenton. But then they all kind of look at the doctor and go, Bye. And walk off. You know, just gotta walk off. We don't like, know you. I don't know you. Yeah. And then we have this interaction between Clara and the doctor, and she's trying to get him to admit that she was a good doctor, right? You could you could admit it, you could say it. And it looks like he's not saying it because He's jealous. He's jealous. But there's more to it. He's disturbed. Mm-hmm. Um and he says uh you're an exceptional doctor, Clara. Goodness had nothing to do with it. What does he mean by this? Uh, he means in order to be a, he's distinguishing between moral goodness and quality of service. Mm-hmm. She delivered excellent quality of service as the doctor, but in order to do that, she didn't. She had to go beyond being a good person. She had to be willing to make the tough calls and 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 do things that would um, not result in everybody getting through this and so he's he's communicating to her that you can't you can't be the doctor and always be a nice or good person right right i don't think she actually says it but like there's a sentiment at one point like everybody lives today sort of thing where where she wanted to like mm. She wanted she, but she by the end she's had people die in front of her. Well, that's what I mean. Is mm-hmm. like so she she wants to, but she had to make decisions, and that ended up where people didn't survive. And so yeah, there's a you know it's they they succeed, but people die, mm-hmm. and uh, it's always one of the things that kind of gets me a little bit is is how people die, and the the you know, by the end of it you you kind of forgotten that they've mm-hmm. they've lost so many. 
Um, they could, oh, yay, we, we, we won. We've, we saved the day and we're going off to do our thing. But at least in this one, they acknowledged people died. Mm-hmm. This, the losses were, mm-hmm. were here. Mm-hmm. So any other things about this episode? We had, and then, uh, well, I should mention we had that last, uh, where you, where you said in the uh, recap of Missy, uh, saying, I have chosen well. And mm-hmm. that has to do with the fact that she, d- during the 11th Doctor's time, she had Clara's, she misdirected Clara's phone call to tech support to the TARDIS phone. Well, no, she was a woman in a shop and, mm-hmm. for tech support, and Clara came in looking for help, and she gave her, she, or she was a woman in a shop, that's how Clara describes her, and she gave Clara a number and said, this is the best tech support. Yeah. And it was the, and it was the TARDIS's number. So she's, this is the first indication that we have, and it's not clear here because she could be mm-hmm. thinking of something else. Right. But where it's ultimately going to go is Missy was the woman in the shop and she deliberately set Clara up to become the doctor's companion. Right. 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 For reasons that are going to be clear later, but not clear yet. Um, so, okay. Uh, so that, and that's where we end things. Uh, other thoughts, Father Corey? So there's a couple couple of times here where there's reference to how big the TARDIS really is. You know, of course, we just see the box. Uh, first time is Clara's taking some of her clothes back with her because, of course, she's not supposed to have been on the TARDIS. Uh, the doctor says, well, you can left that here. We've got acres of space, you know, of course, meaning the TARDIS is so big that it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you just leave your stuff laying around because there's so much room, just go to a different room. But then there's the, when she picks up the, the model TARDIS, the small one. And mentions how light it is. He goes, well, it's always lighter than it really is because if it was real weight, it would crack the surface of the earth, you know. And so, wow. you know, the TARDIS yeah. is so heavy that it would 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 wreck the crust of the earth, basically. Mm. Well, if not, turn into a black hole. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That is and if you big. if you see more fan takes on the TARDIS, but you know, going off of what we know through through canon and everything. The TARDIS is very big and very heavy. It's yeah. But then, then it's smushed into a blue box, probably Death Star size. Well, they actually talk about on the show. They talk about it being infinite in size, and I don't know that I buy that, but it's certainly enormous. Yep. Any other notes, Father Corey? That's it, Jimmy. So it's interesting. Uh, Clara takes or Danny calls Clara twice in this episode. Once is when she is in an apartment with Riggsy being threatened by the 2D creatures. And she's trying to, apparently they had a lunch date. And so he's, he's calling to see where she is. And she, she tells him lunch is kind of a bust that something's come up and she's trying to help this person. And the doctor who can hear her phone call with, with Danny says i forget exactly what she tells danny but it's technically true um she's trying to help riggsy find his aunt right um, who is one of the disappeared people and the doctor says "Ooh, technically not a lie and (laughs) and then um he confronts her about how she's been lying to him about Danny is okay with you traveling on the TARDIS when she was desperately trying to keep Danny and not very successfully trying to keep Danny from realizing that she was in an emergency situation that was likely caused by her being with the doctor. Then at the end of the episode, after she's triumphed, Danny calls again and she sends him to voicemail. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is significant. 
There are also a couple of, of lines that the doctor has that I really like. At one point, when the doctor has fallen on in the TARDIS, has fallen onto the railroad tracks, he's been talking about how the TARDIS is in a is in an extremely weakened state, and he says, one more hit and I'm finished. And I guess the implication is the train hitting the TARDIS might finish him, in which case, mm-hmm. what happens with the inside? Does it... <laughs> Does it blow up and crack the earth? Yeah. You know, but um, what he says to Clara is, try to get those people out of there. You're stronger than you know. Mm. And so that's him giving her a vote of confidence. I don't know that she hears him say that because communication is kind of iffy at this point, but he's actually giving her a vote of confidence in this role that she has assumed. Uh, a comedic line, though, from a little bit earlier in the episode is as soon as they start realizing the creatures are from a two-dimensional universe, the doctor says, it's long been theorized, but nobody could go there and prove it without going on a heck of a diet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the fact when he realizes it, he goes, yes, it exists. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he theorized it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, that should do it for us this time. Uh, Let's see. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Amy M., Robert H., Father Stephen W., Carrie O., and Christy R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode for us. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you thought of this 12th Doctor story called Flatline. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing our 300th episode... And we'll be ranking the companions. That'll be a lot of fun. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I mean, this is just embarrassing. I'm from the race that built the TARDIS. Dimensions are kind of our thing. <laughs> <laughs>